On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. You gotta find a way to not really forget the memories, but know how to deal with them. On the trolley side, just a little bit of fire left. Like the path, they clear a path. I say, holy cow, they made a path for us. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein. And on the podcast today, I'm joined by former firefighter paramedic Nick. Uh, Nick was on the job for 18 years, but left in 2020. And during the course of his career, uh, he lost 10 friends, five to line of duty deaths and five to suicide. Uh, Since leaving the job, Nick has worked to sort of, you know, get out of that PTSD that he was in. Um, he shared his work with other folks. Uh, one of the ways he's doing that is by writing a book and the book that he wrote is called building grit, how to fight the fire of PTSD and come out stronger on the other side. Nick also has a podcast and, uh, does some public speaking and works with the firefighters to, to get through a really tough job. So Nick, I'm grateful to have you on the podcast. As you know, we tell a lot of stories on this podcast, but we also talk about the effects of those stories on first responders. Uh, so I'm especially grateful to have you and on here and sharing your story um, and sharing it with the first responder community and those that are around first responders. So without saying too much more, I will turn the mic over to you and let you share your story from the road. Yeah, Phil, I appreciate the opportunity to share my story. You know, it, there's power in having the ability to spread the word. And when you share your story with other people, you can actually empower them to share their story. So uh, super stoked to be here. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Uh, so again, my name is Nick Wingo. I um, came into the fire service at a very young age. I was 18 years old, straight out of high school. I, you know, I, I always, uh, actually, I didn't know that I wanted to be a firefighter from a very young age. But when I um, graduated fire, fire academy, when I was 18 years old, my mom brought me a book. I had 
put together as a kid of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And it was that I wanted to be a, a firefighter. So I actually subconsciously wanted always from a, a young child to be in the fire service, to be in that servant um, position, because I, I've always really cared about people. I've always had a compassion for people. And I just really want to help people in any way I can. And so I was actually going to try to join the military and the military wouldn't take me because of my asthma. Uh, and so I shifted into uh, going to college for uh, my firefighter one, my EMT. And I got hired on as a resident firefighter at the, at the age of 18. I mean, I was six months out of, out of high school um, and I, I got thrown into this amazing job that was something that I had no clue of what I was getting myself into because at that time I was, you know, I thought I was thinking about um, how all the men wanted to be firefighters and how all the women wanted to be with firefighters and how you got these cool four days off at a time. And, um, you, you know, you, you lived in the firehouse and it was, it was like this amazing job, this really cool thing. And it was, it was all those things. What I didn't realize is all the crap that you deal with. And so when I, when I, first got in, I remember vividly, um, I went on a call and it was a young child had passed away and we got back into the apparatus and the engine after the call. And I remember, um, the officer at the time saying, well, that sucked. And I was like, yeah, that, that did suck. Um, and, and then there was just this like silence. And then it was like, well, Hey, this is part of the job and this is what you signed up for. And then there was really nothing further beyond that. Like that was it. And I just, I, I thought to myself like, man, this feels so heavy and, and wrong. And, and there's so many things about this that are crushing me. Yeah. I didn't feel safe or have the avenue to speak on how I was feeling or what I was thinking. And so in that moment, I learned that you subconsciously, I learned amongst several other um, messages I got as a young child that you shove your emotions down. That just it reaffirmed it, right? Because I grew up in a very masculine home. My dad was a, my dad was a Marine. He was very hard. He was very, men don't cry. We don't show emotions. We don't show our feelings. And so my whole life building up to that, I was already getting that message. And then I got that message as soon as I stepped into this amazing job. And so that was the catalyst that drove me to the next 18 years that led to me leaving my career. And so I, I was a resident firefighter. I, um, I got promoted to engineer when I was at the fire department. I went from being a resident to a full-time firefighter uh, to being an engineer, worked up my ranks, my way up the ranks. <clears throat> and then I had this brief moment where I realized that maybe I don't want to be in the fire department. So I went out and I went to a class um, where I learned about executive protection and I thought that I was going to go be a, be a bodyguard, basically uh, go overseas and do that. And I, because I was so fed up with the fire department, I was so done with all this stuff. And so I thought that that would give me what I needed. I came back from that and I was pushing to go to that. And I actually got hired on it at a different fire department. So I had this whole new um, grasp on, okay, like maybe me going to this other fire, fire department. That's a big, you know, I was working up in the mountains. My pay was less. There was a lot of problems. There was a lot of stuff that there was a lot of issues, just a small department, um, only, only three station apartment and with, you know, kind of that small city feel. And so with that, there was a lot of issues. And so I figured, okay, I'll give this fire department thing a shot again, um, because I'm going to be way better pay, 
I'm going to be in the city close to where I was living because uh, I was commuting like an hour and a half to work. Uh, this brought my commute down to only, uh, you know, only a, a 15, 20 minute commute. And so I was like, perfect. I had this whole renew on being in the fire department. And so I, I moved, I went to fire Academy. I graduated number two in my class. Like I <clears throat> had a really good transition and then I had a, a really great opportunity to go to paramedic school right away. So I went to paramedic school right away, uh, got my paramedic. And when I got my paramedic, that's where it all started again, because I started to be not, I was not just part of the team. I was the one that was running the team for these medical calls. I was the one that was making the decisions. I was the one that had the weight of what we did on me. And I never understood how difficult that weight would be. I never really uh, fully appreciated the uh, other, the other, the other guys or, or gals that I worked with having that weight as the medic, being the one making the decisions and having to sit with that. And so I remember my first call as a medic, I was solo. So we, we usually ran two medics in the house I was, I was working at. Um, and I was solo on this call, solo medic. And it was this, this 19 year old girl. She, um, she clearly had taken heroin for the first time and overdosed and it, and it, and it killed her. Um, and she was laying there and she, there, I mean, she was, there was, I mean, she was dependent, lividity, dependent lividity with rigor mortis. She was like long gone. There was nothing I could do for her. And I remember, um, walking up and think, like I talked to her friends and they had no clue that she was even using. So, it was like this really difficult call. And I remember calling the, I remember vividly to this day, calling the doctor and, and saying like, Hey, here's what I have. Um, you know, I need, I'm calling for a field pronouncement. And the doctor was like, there's like, are you sure? Are you like, there's, there's nothing like, like, and he said, what a, what a waste. How sad. And I thought to myself, yeah, what a waste. How sad. I went home and over the next several days, I had this weight of not doing anything. Because I made the decision to do nothing for that gal. And then I, I had this thing where I was like, man, if that was my daughter, I want somebody to do something. Even though everything said that I couldn't do anything, it was the right thing to do nothing. It was the right thing to make the field pronouncement. All those things said that, yeah, that was, that was the right thing. However, I still had this heaviness of making this decision. And that's just, that was the catalyst. That was the start of just hundreds and hundreds of calls where there was just really terrible situations that you're in as a firefighter, as, as a paramedic, as, as a, a being a first responder. There's just all this terrible stuff that there's nothing you can do about, right? And you're, you're coming into these positions where um, you are working to make the best out of a really crappy situation. You're doing what you can with something that has already led to death, destruction, you know, these terrible things. And so as a firefighter, we're fixers. We want to fix things. So it becomes this multi-layered thing where I want to fix the thing that's broken, yet I can't fix that thing. And the heaviness of that, like the knowing that, you know, your job, what you're being paid for is to fix the thing that you can't fix. And there is just, there, it, you can't understand it unless you've experienced it. You can't really fully appreciate it 
until you've been in that situation. And, you know, really that is what led to me just really progressively, like for by all means, losing my mind, going crazy. Um, you know, I, I started losing friends to suicide. Some of my coworkers, uh, they were killing themselves. I started losing friends to line of duty deaths. Uh, you know, half of one of my crews that I worked with for three years died. One guy committed suicide. The other guy fell off a roof and six stories landed on his pack and killed him instantly. So all these things started to weigh on me heavily, really, really heavily. And so I, one day I looked at my partner on the medic unit and I said, man, I'm really struggling. I'm not sleeping. I'm having nightmares. I, I'm just, I, I'm not doing well. I had been at a busy house for six years straight. I was at our busiest house, our district one. District one always seems to, in any city really seems to be the, the worst district. And I just was, I was having a rough go. Um, I was sleeping maybe an hour or two a night. I was having outbursts of anger towards my family, my kids. Uh, I had road rage. I was pissed off at the world. I was mad at everything. I was tired. Uh, I just, I was not doing good at all. And so my partner told my captain and I was pissed off. I was mad. I was mad that he ratted me out. I was mad that he went and told my shit that I shared with him. But I got to tell you, I'm so grateful that he did because I was not willing to say like, hey, I can't do it anymore. Um, I, I, I had too much ego and pride. I was too um, caught up in, in the job. I was too caught up in, in what I had to be and who I had to be because I was a leader. People looked up to me. Uh, you know, I, I was the one that trained all the, 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 if they wanted, somebody wanted to like really be a good medic, they came and they trained with me. Um, because I pushed people. I pushed people outside their comfort zones and I held them accountable um, because it was important to me. It was, but what, what, what I was doing was important and it was people's lives. And I took it seriously. I was, I, 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 it, to me, what we were doing meant so much, right? That was so compassionate. And that's why I ended up in the position I did. So the captain came, he said, Hey, you need to take a day off. I said, great. I'll take a day off. You guys want to give me a free day off? Perfect. I love free days off. I live for free days off. Like I get a ticket out of this place. Awesome. I remember shutting my my locker door and then my intuition, my gut instinct was that, that was the last time I was going to shut my, my locker. And I had this like really uneasy feeling of, ooh, that was really weird. Why did I think that? Because that's not normally a thought that would come to my mind. Well, um, after that, I left. I got drug tested and alcohol tested the morning I got off, um, which didn't feel great because I was like, okay, so you guys, I say that I have this thing. Uh, and then you guys want to see if I'm, I'm, I'm doing drugs or, or drinking. I just kind of chuckled to myself. There was part of me that was like, okay, this is the system that is so broken. And this is why nobody speaks up. This is why nobody says anything because immediately it's like, well, well you're doing drugs, you're drinking. No, I'm not. I'm just struggling from all this crap that I'm dealing with. So I went and um, shortly after that, my dad passed away. Eight weeks after I left the fire department, my, my dad passed away. And that was when I realized that I couldn't do it on my own anymore. I'd been shoving all my emotions, all my feelings, all my stuff down for all those years. And they came out all at once for months. Um, I had several other just terrible things happen over the next couple months. And that landed me in treatment at the center of excellence for 35 days. When I was in the center of excellence, I recognized that I, number one, I'm so grateful for that time. I would have never done it on my own. 
but the suicide ideation started to come on so, excuse me, so strong that I knew that I couldn't do it on my own anymore. I knew that uh, I knew that my friends killed themselves and I was starting to see how I would end up doing the same thing too. And so I knew how that affected people and I was not willing uh, to allow that to arise in me. And so that's where I, I, I threw in in the talents and I'm, I'm going, I'm going for sure. Um, and that pause helped me see that all the crap, all the stuff I had dealt with, I just had hit my limit. My cup had overflown and there was no room until I started to empty stuff to really even go on living a normal, healthy life. Um, and so I, along with my doctor's recommendation, decided that that was it. I was done with the fire department, which was a really difficult decision. It was one of the, it was, it was not, it was the most difficult decision I made in my life. And there was a lot of judgment that was had towards me from other people. Uh, there's still a lot of people that I hear about <clears throat> that have judgment towards me from the fire department, right? Um, because I, because I, I threw in the towel and I said, I can't do it anymore. But it's okay. I recognize like it's just because a lot of those guys are struggling through the same things and they don't want to uh, have to lose their job or walk away from their job. So uh, when I left, there was a guy I was I was uh, at treatment with. He committed suicide three weeks after we about three weeks after we left. And he had came to me and said, like, how are you starting to understand this stuff? What is it that you're doing? Why are you changing your perspective? And so, um, you know, to honor him and to honor all my other friends that committed suicide and to really bring light to what's happening with firefighters, first responders, I, I made it my mission to find healing and on any level that I could and to share what I've learned with as many people as I could. And so that's what I've been doing over the past two years of my life is really changing my perspective, seeking out the things that help me constantly evaluating what are the things that I can do on a daily basis to keep myself out of the post-traumatic stress, to keep myself out of the depression, to keep myself out of anxiety. And how can I share that with other people so they can do the same thing? So that's about, I mean, that's the a, a kind of a, a shortened version of, of how I got to where I am right now. Well, it, it's a heck of a story and it's a, it's a courageous story to share. I think a, a lot of guys would probably, you know, not be willing to go out and talk about what the job did to them. And it's funny, not funny, but it's interesting that as I listened to you, I was drawing parallels in my own life. So I worked the busiest engine company in the, in the department and I was a good medic and I wanted the guys working for me to good medics. And then the outburst that you were talking about, all that sort of stuff happened to me, probably not at the same level that it happened to you. I was able to deal with it on my own. Uh, but certainly, you know, those, those parallels are there. And I would imagine that most of the first responders that are listening to this podcast are probably listening to you talk about each of those incidents and feeling parallels. And the other thing that I think is really interesting is that your department had you drug tested because you came forward and said, hey, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time. Or someone came forward on your behalf and said, I'm struggling and having a, a hard time. And I think that's that's nothing short of cowardness on the part of the administration of your fire department. And I think a lot of fire departments are like that. I was very fortunate. The fire department that I worked for. Uh, we're, they were very supportive when when guys had a hard time. And, and we dealt with five suicides in two years. So that department was, was very good. But I think there's a number of departments out there that don't recognize what the job is doing to their employees. Uh, I think the police department sometimes is even worse. I've talked to uh, Lieutenant Drew on here a number of times. And you know we've talked about 
police officers that are terrified to say, hey, I'm having a hard time because they don't want their gun and badge taken away immediately by their superior officers. Uh, So a lot of what you're saying there really rings true. I think it rings true for most first responders that are listening to this that have struggled or have seen colleagues struggle in in the fire department. So thank you for sharing that that part of your story with us. Uh, Moving forward, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing now, um, how you're reaching first responders and how you're supporting them. I know that's a big part of what you do these days. Yeah. So, um, so I, when I got out from treatment, I went out and I started seeking every modality that I could to find healing. Uh, and so I, I went out and did, I did ketamine and I did, um, psilocybin, I did MDMA. I did all the things that are outside of the normal type of thing. Um, that a lot of them have stigmas and those things helped me significantly. They allowed me to get off from a lot of my medications they allow me to start to live somewhat of a normal life. Now, I, I still struggle on a regular basis. And then I, from there, I realized like, okay, these things are great, but I need something that I can use on a daily basis. I need something that can really um, help me every day. And so I bumped into breathwork and I started um, doing breathwork and I started uh, just realizing, understanding how the power of my breath can really help me dig into subconscious mind and how, uh, how amazing it was and, and the feelings I was getting and the healing I was getting on a daily basis and the breakthroughs I was having. And so from there, I started um, learning how to uh, really lean into my pain. Um, what that looked like was, um, you know, doing these really long breath holds and then uh, getting in saunas and, and being severely uncomfortable and, and sitting in my pain and, and really feeling it, feeling my feelings, and then started using cold showers and cold dips uh, and then I started to do inner child work and dive into all the negative messages that uh, were brought up to me um, from my childhood. And then also all the things, why, why they led to the way that I handled stuff. So once I started doing that work, I realized like, man, I can't just hold this stuff in. I need to start sharing that. So I started um, doing men's retreats where I bring in, uh, I always, every, every men's retreat, I bring in one firefighter on a scholarship because let's be honest, firefighters don't like to spend money on themselves. They don't like to fork out the dime. Um, they don't want to, they don't want to, um, number one, we, we don't want to do the work. We don't want to lean into the difficult stuff. Uh, at least I didn't. And I know that there's a lot of, a lot of people that are the same way. Um, and so I do these men's retreats and I, and I bring, I bring these men out and I show them, I, I work with them all the things that, that I'm doing that help me um, really change my perspective. Um, and, and, you know, those have been so powerful. I, I mean, I, it's been, it's really just it, it invigorated my heart uh, and made me feel so amazing that I've been able to uh, specifically, there was a guy that I worked with. Um, he was uh, working in uh, California in a really busy department. He was on all kinds of medications. He was suffering. He was having all kinds of problems. And uh, I worked him, with him for a weekend and he completely changed him uh, just by me sharing the stuff that was working for me, like flipped his life a complete 180. Um, and so being able to share what I'm doing with other people like that, especially first responders, just lights up my soul uh, to know that, hey, I was able to help him. Uh, in order so he could stay in his career because he is actually staying in his career. He's not leaving. He's had a complete 180. He's 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 completely changed, and so it's my heart to um, number one help the first responders that are that are suffering, 
And number two, to, to help really anybody who's been through post-traumatic stress, uh, specifically men, because as men, we really don't know how to feel our emotions, feel our feelings, uh, be vulnerable, do all the all do all the hard stuff. And so it's my heart to just share with with men that, hey, you can be a warrior, you can be um, strong and masculine, but you can also be a lover. And you can also let the feminine piece of you out. Like you can, you can feel your emotions, you can feel your feelings. And it's actually the sign of a very strong man is a man that can be vulnerable, a man that can show his emotions, a man that can share all of him and then still show up and be the protector. And so that's my mission now is just to share with, with men like, Hey, this is, this is who you can be. And this is where you can go. I also am doing work with couples. Because I recognize that one of the biggest reasons that I was able to make it through my really difficult time was that I had a very supportive wife. She was there for me in all my stuff. So when you have a spouse who's there to walk beside you and support you and hold you, that that's where your power is. Like your power is in the ability to be one with somebody. Uh, when you have somebody that you're one with and you can really lean into that, where you can go and the things that you can accomplish are amazing. And so I, I do a podcast with her where we, we're very raw and vulnerable and real about the stuff that we've been through. We're working towards eventually uh, doing couples retreats as well. So that's kind of where I am right now from all the stuff that, that led to this. And I'm so grateful for it because what, you know, what an amazing thing that I get to do now. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, I'll get with you and we'll get all this information. We'll put it in our show notes. So anybody that's listening will be able to easily find this information, uh, find out about the work you're doing, your book, all that sort of stuff. As we close this out, Nick, is there anything else that you want to share? Uh, you know, I just, every time that somebody asks me that is I just want to remind you that you're not alone. Because so often in life, we go through life rushing around thinking that we're the only ones that are suffering. We're the only ones that are in pain. We're the only ones that has all this stuff. And that's so far from the truth. You're not alone. Reach out to somebody. If you're hurting and you're in pain, holding it in, keeping it to yourself is never going to get you where you need to be. I, I tried that. It didn't work. Get the help you need. Look for support find the people that really care about you because they're there and there's people that want to help you get through your stuff. I think those are very important words to share, especially to this community. I want to take a minute and just thank you for being on the podcast, for being a guest and for sharing your, your powerful story. I hope in the future you'll come back and talk to us again, maybe share some stories from your career or even talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing now, but you have an open invitation anytime you want to come back to stories from the road. Phil, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you enjoy. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. Show notes are written by Jennifer Rowick. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this show, please visit storiesfromtheroadpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.